Hello and welcome to a special episode of Impressions of America. I'm Simon and with me as always is Toby. Hi Toby. Hey Simon. Uh, so this is a this is a special episode as we said in the intro. It's a bit different from the other ones we normally do where we pick a, pick a subject uh, normally in 20th century America and research it and talk amongst ourselves and then do a podcast on it. This one is a little different, isn't it, Toby? Yeah, it's a little different. We're, we're going to have to survive on the strength of your personal magnetism on this one, I think. Well, then we should probably end the episode right here, then, I think, <laughs> if, that's, <laughs> if that's the case. Um, so, this episode is a, a pod about the pod. It's uh, it's about the two of us, uh, myself and Toby, the podcast, and how we ended up doing one, uh, and why we have an interest in modern American 20th century history. So, um, on that note, Toby, is is there any is there any key question that we should answer to start this special podcast? Hmm. I suppose you you've got to the real salient question already. You know, the idea why is it that we have taken up this you know this role as uh, the great um, sort of explorers of communication in, in American history over the last 60 years then that yeah, is the question I, I I know from myself just as a general point on American history from a personal point of view as, as someone who uh, who grew up in the the 90s and 2000s I was exposed to a lot of American media and it's very natural for me to think of a lot of my sort of so- social and cultural touchstones as being American mm, mm. when you combine that in a we now live in a, a 24-7 news cycle which is consistently looking towards America and you think of America as the dominant country of the 20th century an area which we just have an interest in in, in yeah. general it, it's 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 a very natural fit I suppose for myself I don't, I don't know about you Toby um yeah um many of the same points really it is the American century I mean, I ha- have a BA and an MA in, in history, but in my BA, I didn't really explore a lot of American history. I, you know, sort of took a, like a hodgepodge of different uh, historical periods, sort of after Charlemagne, maybe after the eighteen, the eight, <laughs> the eight hundreds, and um, but I think American history, I absorbed, you know, partly from almost osmosis a lot of american pop culture and i also had a non-academic interest in american history you know figures like nixon and reagan have almost been presented to me as almost like the fictional characters in a lot of uh, american media you know that the entry point for them is is the same i think that's why you find them in, you know, Simpsons and uh, books by Alan Moore and and other cultural artifacts. You know, absolutely. Um, for myself, my background is a little is a little bit different to Toby. I'm a bit of a, I don't know, bowing to the the educational 
prowess of Toby, I guess, in one respect. I I have a lowly BA rather than the Masters, which uh, <laughs> which t- Toby has had bestowed and, upon. And like him. they say, Masters is pay for play. You know, it's not a <laughs> <laughs> it's not a representation of anything. Uh, my, my background, although I'm now in the uh, the software business, I originally came. Uh, I came into university at college where I did television production, so I was more on the hands hands on side of things. And then I went into that most universally of uh, ridiculed uh, subject, media history or media studies, I should say. And uh, in media studies, it was media history, which was of particular um, uh, importance, particular interest to me, um, especially I suppose nineteen fifties onwards, where we saw this explosion of both the teenage culture and the new media that came through with, you know, televisions being placed in people's homes. And then from there, we've seen just a continued growth of, of new American, well, new media in general. But I suppose when, when you think about media, certainly when I think of media that's come through over the last 60 years, you think of te- television and you think of the internet and America's been such a dominant figure in both of those aspects. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just sociologically, the growth of media studies degrees is, is, is fairly interesting. I mean, we, we now live in almost like an empire of cultural creators, you know, content creators, essentially. And even the fact that we're doing this podcast right now, that we're not sort of bowing to, you know, the hierarchy of, um, you know, the BBC or other gatekeepers, you know, is... is I think a reflection of how media certainly changed. But I think if going back to my own academic background, it, uh, in my BA I studied, um, especially for my dissertation, I studied, well, I mean, if, if you've ever heard of John Locke, he's the guy who you know wrote about tolerance in religion and um, other things like, you know, the immutability of private property, things that a lot of sort of bourgeois liberals and a lot of, you know, even the founding fathers felt, you know, was crucial to the construction of America. I didn't study that guy at all. I studied um, William Petty, uh, who was a, who was the first um, political economist. What he essentially did is he prepared a work of sort of social science. It's one of the first works of social science for uh, Charles II and James II in order to for them to have to prepare a war with um, Louis XIV. But I think why it's, it's important is that for me, Petty was one of the first uh, policy wonks, you know, and I, I I do have an interest in not not just doing wonk wonkatry but actually studying wonks and i think um my work at ma was about studying the wonks that came in in the progressive era the early 20th century and what i see in them is is a sort of the coming in of science into democracy and how science you know it's say in economics departments or climate science has necessarily weakened the amount of choice, you know, um, voters have in a democracy. And I think we see a lot of that in the, you know, move in Brexit and some of the 
populist power in Trump. But I think what this podcast from even just from my academics, from an academic sense, what this podcast allows me to do is to explore how the ideas that comes come from wonks, you know, in say public policy or foreign policy over the last sixty years, have been presented by public relations people and um, you know presidents and politicians and people like William F. Buckley. How those ideas are presented to the public. So I think from my academic background this is where i come to uh this is sort of where i come from and, and why i'm really interested in, in this podcast but also i guess i do also have like a big you know american uh movie collection music collection that you know just makes me enjoy american culture anyway absolutely i know for myself a, a huge touchstone from being a child and growing up was The Simpsons and whatever you think of the show in its current incarnation The the Simpsons was a both an extremely well written comedy about its time, satire about its time it was a, a gateway into understanding, certainly for myself a, a particular voice within America and its ability to pinpoint other touchstones and other political and social movements at the time and make them accessible to myself at a young age that was extremely important you know i i learned about you know whether it be the first uh president bush you know that's i probably learned about him from the simpsons before i learned about any of his policy same with uh, gore vidal first mention of him would have been in the simpsons it, mm-hmm. it's it's things along those lines where the it's hard to say if i don't if i didn't watch the simpsons i wouldn't be interested in 20th century history it's probably it's probably that's an extreme thing to say but <laughs> it, 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 it certainly prepares you for an interest in that yeah definitely because the the i mean i was looking at the art of uh alan moore's the watchman and i there's there's something about like cartoons Obviously, they're accessible, but there's something about the art in The Watchmen that I don't think is accessible to a child. Mm-hmm. There's something sort of gritty and off-putting about it. It is, and it even if even though it's sort of painterly and you know cartoonish, but if you go to The Simpsons, it's very, very accessible. I remember I was going, um, you know, I used to go to an after-school club when I was younger, and we we used to watch this show. Uh, the Simpsons it would come on at five o'clock, and uh, all the kids would watch it. You know, kids who were younger than me would watch it. They would they liked Homer because he was an idiot, and they got him. And then as you got older, and you became more aware of you know your sort of other cultural references, you began to pick apart the Simpsons. And it it is it is a sort of gateway into many things in social life. I I I do agree with that. Absolutely, and I think it touches on both the times that it was depicting, but also of a certain ideal of American values, which itself started to pick apart this idea of the this nuclear family, you know, the 2.3 children, <clears throat> this kind of idyllic um, American family. And there's this great joke where the Simpsons had been on TV for a couple of years 
and uh, George uh, Bush had gone on television and made a speech and he said, we need uh, fewer families like the Simpsons and more like the Waltons. And the Simpsons actually played that actual real life clip in an episode of the Simpsons. <laughs> and and the, the episode plays and <laughs> this is just fantastic uh, economic and social commentary, but Bart turns around to Homer after the clip plays and he goes, hey, we're just like the Waltons. We just lived through a recession. <laughs> because, you know, the, the economic policy of, uh, of uh, the times and uh, whatever uh, failings that George Bush might have been having at that time with uh, his struggle to, I think it was the tax, I think was the... the oh, the, yeah, he was... That, that had, he uh, was working out whether he was going to um, increase taxes or not. And I think he was he was fighting with that with uh, the the Democratic Congress, uh, potentially the Democratic Congress at the time, and the, and I guess that's what Bill Clinton hit him on. You know, is the the economy stupid? After he he was supposedly supposed to uh, sort of not increase taxes, but he increased taxes, and which was I guess strange at the time for a a um republican politician because it it had a bit all been sort of rolling rolling down uh, since the reagan administration absolutely um so i mean we, we've already touched on it already but when whenever you're doing a history podcast i mean certainly when i think of history i always think of the the, the kind of introductory line to American or to any history, sorry, and that is history is the study of change over time, which you know it's a very generic staple, and I'm sure, I'm sure Toby's heard that more times than he's had hot dinners, but <laughs> it, it for me that is a key part of why I'm doing this podcast and why I have such an interest in history. Not so much that I can just understand the change that's happened in the past. But also how you could then apply that to what's coming in the future, and you can understand that this status quo that we're currently living in is just, you know, it's a time period which is set. It's not going to continue that way. You know, there used to be, mm. there didn't used to be fifty states, and now there are. At some point in the future, there won't be fifty states anymore, which seems incomprehensible at the moment. But that's just how it is. You know, mm. Britain wasn't part. There wasn't an EU. Then there was, and now Britain's out of it. You know, we're we're destined for change, and probably one of the the biggest changes that's happened over the last sixty years is uh, technology, and especially information technology, and how that has changed our lives. For Toby and myself, you know, we've we've discussed this quite a lot, and you know, a cultural figure that we would like to do a podcast on is uh, our favorite news anchor, isn't that Toby? Isn't that right, Toby? Oh uh, yeah, um, Walter Conkright. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. so, so Walter Cronkite is an example of this almost mythical news figure who gave the news at a set time and then delivered breaking news when it was important enough. And, you know, he was the voice of Middle America and, you know, where Cronkite went, America went, and th- that kind of thing. And for me, it's so foreign now to have this idea of a person delivering a bit of news to you at a set time whereas the world just isn't like that anymore and it's it's such an interesting digression from what we were back then to what we are now which is is this 
constant news cycle very much built upon modern technology yeah exactly i mean i would just take a sort of anecdote from my own life you know i have a sort of size of slightly older friend and he he sent me the weather forecast for the the royal wedding and i was like there's a there's a wedding you know we're just so <laughs> we're so balkanized in our in our media consumption that we 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 really do live in a whole you know different world to especially spit on uh culture and class and age you know like i mean the biggest thing for me in the last two two days has been the the push of tea and uh asap hockey <laughs> album yeah like don't like up it's almost political that that, that drake um <laughs> attacked Pusha T like that's that's it's it's a you know that's this touchstone for me right now and, and for for you know for people who live in my house it couldn't be more foreign to them yes absolutely then I... necessarily you know I mean that is the product of the technology definitely you know sort of um the preference algorithms that we have right now that, that necessarily work on trying to predict um, what you want based on what you've already gotten and so you're more you're much more I think visceral um, sort of things that you enjoy or things that you've you've uh, looked into in the past will be given to you again it is it is a closing i think there was a book called the closing of the american mind and i you know i i mean i'm you know i haven't formulated a sort of sociological critique of our time like that but it is something it is a trend that i have seen you know happening in, in my own life even outside of historical scholarship and going from the world of Cronkite, you know, which was a sort of, you know, um, where people were much more homogenous to this world is something I do want to trace. Absolutely. It is interesting that we're living in an age where technology is so freely available to anyone. You know, whether or not you're on the right or the left, you can find out about climate change from a scientist or you can find out about you know god from any number of religions from throughout the world you know we're no longer we're no longer set by what information our parents gave us and then who we kind of meet along our way in life you know we, we can take out that computer in our pocket and we can find out anything and yet at the same time we've almost it's almost set us down specific paths so that whether it's because of the information we have or because we're unable to process it properly we now have people who will only take in information from facebook because they won't take the the news from you know the liberal media for instance mm, mm. you know exactly um, yeah. we, we now have a greater resource for finding things out than ever before and yet specifically from a media gaining information point of view were as you say we are extremely shut off and it is it has forced sections of society to 
completely split and diverge from the mainstream and you have people who just simply won't believe anything that's not unless it specifically comes from the twitter account of the president that, that's the, <laughs> that's the only way they take in information now regardless yeah, I, it, regardless it, it's of what really anything else says. it's really interesting that i think a, it was one of the district courts ruled that trump doesn't have a right to block people on twitter <laughs> yeah i mean you know trump Trump has used the medium of Twitter, you know, like Nixon did with television, to bypass a particular kind of media. You know, like with um, as with Sanders, his um, uh, I think she's the communications person that that works under him. You know, she will come to that podium and she will be berated by um, quote off quote liberal journalists from the New York Times, the Washington Post, and they will take what she says and then they will, you know, use her quotes, at, you know, and to frame a particular story. And what Trump wants to do is he doesn't really like that model of communication. He, he seems to be slightly infatuated with the, the Russian model of, of communication where you just I mean, which, which is an old, in many ways, is an old model of communication. You're just trying to form um, a site, you know, of propaganda that isn't necessarily filtered out by the, you know, the, the people in society, journalists and experts who are supposed to be a sort of middleman between the, the president and the people. Yeah, his Twitter account is basically state-run media. It, it's, yeah. It, there is little difference for his supporters who only gain... I suppose the difference is if you if you live in somewhere like North Korea, you literally have no choice other than to take in the information you're giving you and whether or not you want to take it in or not. Generally speaking, that's what you've got unless you really are brave enough to find, you know, seek out alternative alternative messages. With Trump and his supporters, it's the other way. It's There's all this information out there, but they've honed in on the one place they think is correct. And so it's not that they don't have other information. They have simply chosen not to accept it as reality. And it's it's so different to what we've looked at so far in the podcast as far as media. But at the same time, it's also so... It's such a repeat of what's happened, you know, as far as... Nixon attacking the press when we looked at the post you know just just the same way as Trump attacks the press these days you know there are different um, there are different I suppose realities as far as you know it happening in you know television or the papers compared to it happening on Twitter but it it's it's a similar tactic and once again we are living through history repeating itself despite the fact history tells us you know it's it's the story of change over time, but it's also a story of history repeating itself and how you only have to look back even, you know, 30, 40, 50 years for such examples of what's happening today. And I suppose maybe that's one way of trying to deal with what's happening with Trump is we look at Nixon and we know that Nixon was brought down. Perhaps that brings us some comfort. Apart from yeah. you, apart from you, obviously, Toby, you were devastated when Nixon was brought down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me, me and Pat Buchanan. <laughs> I mean, 
we um I guess me and Pat Buchanan and Roger Stone for years we, we just sort of waited at Nixon's bedside and <laughs> contemplated his uh, sort of eventual comeback. Yeah, but I I, it, I, rem- I remember the weekends I used to spend with Agnew in the Hamptons. It was uh Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we we sort of set up meeting with the different publications and then <laughs> there was that fr- frost Nixon thing which we we thought I mean, we thought that Nixon was going to come back, but it was <laughs> Yeah, I mean but <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, definitely um, with with Trump and sort of um, his Twitter being a form of, you know, propaganda, propaganda. I think it is really interesting because we we necessarily are dealing with. I mean, if you if you're thinking about um, history and and us going back to Nixon. I, I do think a lot of history scholarship, because I mean, obviously, with with if if we had some sort of panopticon who just simply took down history, we we would read it as a sort of um, almost unemotive sort of fact, you know, sort of the aggregation of facts. But when we produce history, there is a sort of it's almost like a poetry in it, you know. We, when human beings go about producing history, we're not necessarily writing an aggregation of facts. We're bringing our own interpretations to bear on a specific number of facts selected, and we can find some sort of, you know, sort of almost music to um, the way we write the history. It's interesting you brought up Frost Nixon there because that kind of seamlessly brings us into uh, an era of conversation we've we've sort of already touched on with regards to you know television that uh, helped bring us up and help introduce us. We were just going to briefly in in this episode just touch on some other cultural touchstones as far as movies of interest you know you've got your you know you've got your Frost Nixons and you've got you know all president men. You know, f- the films I-, I came to a little bit later in life were things like Wag the Dog and Bullworth and Ides of March came out recently. But one thing which, one film which is perhaps a little, it's not your traditional um, film that you might associate with this podcast, but one which actually brings full circle what we were just talking about, and that is The Social Network. And I think with The Social Network, obviously you get an insight into how Facebook was formed and the goings on there, but you also got a a look into how this socially awkward person was able to build up a network through um, their ability to cut through certain aspects of society and create this platform as they saw it, how it should be, and it's of course interesting now that. Facebook is at the centre center of so much of the political, um, I don't know what you call it, political fires over the last couple of years, especially in relation to American elections. And I, I do wonder if we are going to see more films in the coming years about how technology has, not just the history of technology, but how the technology is now starting to impact our lives and how platforms are becoming you know, the new uh, news outlets. Yeah, I mean, 
technology has impacted our lives. Like I, I watched this, this weird uh, French film, and they had a. It was a film about this. I don't know this gay kid who tried to get um, sort of some form of trying to develop some forms of relationships with stray men. It was. It's nothing to. Do with, but at the beginning of the film, there was a ten-minute um, pre-film almost about kids, and they were trying to like pick up this older girl and it was a sort of like sleepy almost like romantic childhood and I think but I think back to my own childhood and I think like if we're going to make films about childhood in the in the noughties and the tens much of childhood now actually just exists on the internet we're gonna have to make films you know with Loads and loads of message boards, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and that that sort of sleepy romantic um, childhood is is just going to be a you know different DM messages or something like that. You know? <laughs> Absolutely, you know. But I mean... it, going back to the idea of the way technology is affected our, our elections, you just have to go to the sort of Cambridge Analytica or the the Russians data mining. Um, data mining program you know necessarily they've taken memes you know memes that are being posted on uh facebook accounts and twitter accounts of people who are already potentially you know persuadable voters and the, but these memes aren't facts they're just things that you viscerally feel emotionally and your facebook might be completely filled with with those things you know and and they aren't even sort of strands of information they're pre-prepared narratives these things so that that is a further closing off of you know the sort of uh politics for some people and i also think like you know, we have had this. I mean, there was. Uh, it was such a tragedy in, in the in the election. There was this attempt to fact check things on CNN, fact check things on in Trump's debates. But the people who are interested in fact checking or absorb facts are journalists and experts, and then sort of elite type people who are interested in that kind of politics. But as we have seen. You know, through the success of these data mining operations in modern society, if you have this technology, then you can sort of invigorate an, an electorate without, you know, um, necessarily going to facts or fact checkers. Absolutely. You know, it was a it was a conditioning of sorts with, with memes, which perhaps gives it a. An odd turn, turn of phrase. This idea of memes becoming this uh, psychological tool, but th- they were because when you looked at, whenever you looked at an image of Hillary Clinton, it, it, you know it it was memes around you know how untrustworthy she was. It was mm. how she, you know she had done all these dodgy dealings. It was you know things like PizzaGate and all you know that kind of nonsense. And it 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 was it was a level of discrediting an opponent to the point where they basically weren't human and obviously you know the other side do it with trump so it's not a one-sided one-sided thing but this idea that we've become so entrenched now that 
it is very much a war. It's not two politicians with different ideas. It's, you know, it's, it's which side of society do you want, do you think should prosper and which side shouldn't. It, it, it's not some sort of battle of intellects between, oh, you know, I, I think policy A will achieve greater success than policy B. It is, Trump is representative of a certain mindset and of a certain group of people. And, you know, I think we're, we're both aware that, you know, certainly a, a certain amount of that, you know, is a more racist, white supremacist element who are more than willing to use Trump to further their own ideals. And then Trump himself, who I would say more so on the advancing his own business and um, economic interests more than anything else. Yeah, Trump is very much like, I think... Putin in the sense that it is a sort of almost a smash and grab operation that he's running. He's just basically running a sort of almost like uh, just like basic gangster capitalism. But then he, he necessarily needs to plug into sort of ideas of a silent majority, a sort of a true electorate that has been silenced but is now being given voice through this sort of almost like uh i don't know almost like ubermensch <laughs> but yeah i but you know i mean it is interesting that we have come to a point in time where necessarily our values you know i think there's a scholar called i think it's Ch chait who talked about the difference between liberal values and conservative values and, and why sort of necessarily good people disagree on sort of important points of public policy. But I also think that if you go back to the... Um, because there is, there is a lot of fiction out, out there, but if you go back to, say the election in 1960 we can see the influence of a of a medium of technology but the election in 1960 was fought you know one guy had 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 a ghost written pulitzer prize winning book the other guy was you know vice president he had been a senator he had been you know uh, in both houses of, of congress and these guys were you know, talking about policy ideas, and there was a there was a majority of a homogenous uh, population that that could have swung either way in that in that election, but it swung because one guy had a better massaged uh, media personality than than the other guy. Absolutely, and you know the classic classic thing. That was the thing that was talked about at the time and subsequently and in fact has been parried parodied on the simpsons so a nice way to bring us back to that is how slick jfk was able to present himself on television yeah he, he necessarily changed politics absolutely just um, in that exchange whereas I, b I believe at the time people who were listening on the radio thought nixon had won because he was able to put across you know maybe more in-depth policy Mm. Anyone who watched on television saw that you know Nixon was <laughs> sweating away and he was, you know, gruff and he was he was Nixon. And then you had JFK, who represented this idea of sort of youthful vibrance and 
brought an energy and a positivity and it was yeah i'm gonna vote for that guy and america's to some degree or another hasn't looked back since i mean there's obviously always going to be an element of you know you do need to present actual policy but i mean other than you know the wall or making america great again it was trump trump's general message and trump's general being about you know telling footballers who are american footballers who are kneeling on the ground to you know get off the pitch and you're disgracing the flag you know it, it is very much how he presented himself as much as the message he was presenting yeah i think that is, that is true i mean jfk brought in the medium and then or, or you you just have to go to 1980 and you have an actor <laughs> who's president and and i think um reagan said this in an interview once someone asked him well, how, how, how is it being an actor in this role? And, and Reagan said, you know, sometimes I don't think anyone who isn't an actor, who wasn't an actor, could do this role. <laughs> you know, it's the idea that, that this so much of being a president is acting. But I think from, you know, JFK down to Reagan, even down to Bush Sr. and Bill Clinton, and and even and even see some elements in, in Obama. The the image was an image that was unifying. You know, there was a there was an attempt, even with Reaganomics and and, and all of that. The you know things like the movies that he had been in, his pitch, um, his impression of America as the shining city on a hill. There was elements to the Reagan spectacle and there had been elements through the spectacles of, of many different presidents that weren't necessarily marginalizing to great swathes of, of the public but in Trump what you necessarily have is this sort of almost um, hobgoblin of the <laughs> worst you know, deliriums of a particular segment of the population, which is different, I think. Yeah, I think that's a very, very interesting point you make there. Um, well, we don't have a lot of time left on this episode, but probably the final place to take it would be a look ahead. And uh, I suppose what we want to do with the podcast and maybe future possible episodes um we don't the, we've sort of had these three episodes planned out and it's very much kind of set in stone that we were going to do these three now we've come to the end of that we're a little bit of a crossroads as to what our next episode will be about and uh, the, the directions we could take it yeah we're certainly trying to look f i mean buckley was was just so perfect uh, in many ways, because he represented, you know, someone who was interested or in, had a mastery of public policy, and someone who had a particular image and a particular style. You know, we will look for a sort of early liberal equivalent. But I think something that is quite interesting about this podcast, and we've come to in discussions, is that. Further down the line, we will look at people like 
Bill Clinton. And I don't think there has been, I mean, you know, for Bill Clinton, for, uh, you know, when we dip into the 80s and 90s, but I don't think there has been so many sort of attempts to look at the Clinton era and to see, because what they did is they try to bring a spirit of compromise. They they were definitely backed by the intellectual class, you know, economics departments, the political science departments in a unified way. And the idea of presenting that kind of politics, the politics that Hillary Clinton tried to present in 2016 and g- going from ideas to messages will be uh, something that I'm quite interested in. We obviously will do Nixon and Reagan, but I think um, that era is going to be something that's going to be quite interesting for me, uh, definitely. Yeah, it's 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 clear there. You could almost take. Well, there there are certain American presidents you could take, and you could do an episode on you know, Nixon, Reagan, and Bill Clinton are are three obvious examples. I think it'll be interesting to see how we progress with episodes on specific media personalities or specific media events. You know, be it something like Walter Cronkite, uh, whether it be the birth of Fox News, th- there's there's there are a lot of episodes out there, and I suppose the challenge for Toby and myself is to go away to do some research to discuss things, and then come up with maybe some ideas for episodes, and then discuss them through, and then do the in de- in depth research to actually produce a pod. I think that's possibly the next step for ourselves. Yeah, that that's uh, definitely um, the the next step. Um, are there any other thoughts that you you have, Simon? No, I th- I mean I think I've used up most of my thoughts for the weekend in, in the last <laughs> last forty five minutes here. Uh, Damn. That, that that yeah. Well, I mean I gotta I gotta save some energy for going back to work tomorrow. So um, <laughs> um, yeah, you uh, gray matter in reserve, I guess. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll take any any form of grey matter that I've got left. That that, <laughs> that that will be fine by me. Um, I suppose the only thing really to add from uh, Toby and I's perspective is that this is something that we're. I hope you can tell we're we're passionate about. We we love we love American history, especially the, the more modern side of it and how that's dealt with both you know politically, you know, media, socially it's something that we have a real interest in and something we care about and I think over the course of the next few months I hope we're able to put through uh, quite a lot of episodes which deal with certain aspects of different uh, different areas of, of that study and hopefully we can uh, produce podcasts of, of interest to people and I, I think I think this is definitely something that will continue at least until I mean, I, I don't know, how, how long do you think Trump's going to keep the world going, Toby? Is there months or years left? Is it? Uh, I mean, I suppose there is a scenario in which he has his third term and <laughs> he has necessarily been able to um, defeat uh, the North Koreans, and we had that war in Iran that's going to happen 
against a country uh, with 80 million people. Uh, that's not going to be uh, it's not going to be fun, but we're going to do it because yeah, maybe uh, we could do a live we believe in <laughs> from the first uh, first fallout off the next nuclear bomb that drops you know yeah like, i mean you know that 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 would seem a fair thing to do but right? i think we, we we will move from you know reflecting on local communication in uh and then we'll move probably to a propaganda station in the in the in the trump uh, metropolis when yeah uh, I mean, so that fully takes place because it would be interesting to see how we get on as uh, proper propagandists. Yeah, I mean, after reflecting on propagandists for so long, it might be. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally, if I'm getting paid a certain amount of money, you know, any kind of moral issues I have pretty much go out the window. I don't know about yourself, Toby. I'm fairly flexible on that kind of thing. There definitely is a number. <laughs> there is. <laughs> i suppose that's probably the end of it for this special podcast uh the only thing i would add is that at some point we will try and get guests in where possible to talk about specific things and talk about specific areas of study i i know it sounds impossible but there are actually some things to do with history that toby isn't a complete expert in so we might actually bring in <laughs> other, other people to talk about these th- i know it's hard to hard to imagine that might be the case but that i believe that is um so that that kind of ends the episode for ourselves thank you again for listening and i hope we're able to bring uh, another episode uh, to you our listeners in the near future from uh, toby and myself we shall say goodbye goodbye uh, goodbye <laughs> <laughs>